If you're here, it's because you want to think seriously about your own formation as a kingdom leader. I'm Kevin Minoy, and I invite you to participate in the diverse community of Christian leaders, both anchored and reaching in the work of God. Hang on while we push deep into the crevices of leadership formation, whether as a pastor, educator, organizational leader, or business person. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody, and I'm really glad you joined us on this episode of Your Identity is Your Anchor. And I'm Kevin Minoya and Susanna Fleming. Good to have you here. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah, and we're going to get into another episode. This one, we're going to talk about identity in crisis. Last week, we talked a little bit with you and actually gave you a homework assignment. Hopefully, you took a little time to reflect and and identified some of the things that we talked to you about, and you're bringing those experiences into listening to this particular episode as Susanna and I unpack the idea of identity in crisis. And I think you have already heard a little bit about this. Um, We've talked in this particular one about how crises will come. We want you to acknowledge your deficiencies. We live vulnerably in mutuality. Please stay connected and remember your last name. Those are kind of the five points of what we've talked about in identity and crisis. And we're going to unpack a little bit of those for people who may or may not be in crisis. And so I guess I could say that if crisis is not a part of your life, then you don't need to listen. You can <laughs> tune out right now. And uh, if, if identity is a part of your life journey, then we'd love to have you stay. And we're going to get into a little bit of the content on this. Uh, Susanna, where do we start with this? How do we get into this topic? <laughs> well, I think we should probably start by saying that crisis is most likely going to be part of everyone's life at some point, unfortunately. And I don't necessarily mean crisis on a large scale. I'm not like a doomsdayer. Um, but we all have many or large crises, th- crises throughout our lives that we need to choose before they happen how we're going to respond to them. And I, we also learn from those experiences, right? So I've learned from these experiences and I'm taking that into my next one. But I think it's important that we we talk about that. And So can I interrupt you uh, just for a second, Susanna? Let me go back to a word you used because most people probably just heard it and hum, him, ha, yeah, that's right. That's, that's appropriate. Unfortunately is the word I want to de- dial into and zero in on. You said mm-hmm. that most people are unfortunately, isn't that what you said? Are going to unfortunately I experience use crisis. I that word. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, I'm, and, and there are times in my life where I haven't been the one to think about how fortunate I am to be going through this crisis. But for my kids or for other people on the journey of being formed, I'm thinking, I am so glad they're in that crisis because I know exactly how that may turn out and how that's going to affect them. Now, the pain may be deep, but in that respect, I wonder, is it really unfortunate that we go through crises or is it kind of God's grace or a little bit of fortunate uh, that we're able to walk through those because we know that they form us? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I mean, we do know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him according to his purposes. So we know at the very least that if we are going through crisis right now, that he does have grace for us to walk through that and he will use it to shape us and form us. And so 
I think that's a good perspective. And if you're listening right now and you are in the middle of a crisis or maybe that's not something you've experienced recently, I believe that God has grace for you and there is practical wisdom that you can apply to your life to make it through with grace and with um, an opportunity to develop as a leader. And so that's what we're going to be speaking to today. And you already listened to that teaching from Kevin, but we want to unpack that. So maybe if I can push even a little harder on that construct sure. and and maybe take it to the edge a little bit. And I don't mean to make people uncomfortable, but when I say that it may not be so unfortunate that you're going through a crisis, I guess implicit in that is the assumption that crises are all part of a holistic journey that we all walk. And unfortunately, we've created a world in and even a, even a faith in which there is good and there is bad. And the idea is you embrace the good and you avoid the bad. You stiff arm mm. it at all costs. The result of that is if we're going to create this, this dualism or this antagonistic life or this scale where we have positive and negative and we seek the positive, we avoid the negative, then all of a sudden when the negative or when the crisis comes, we view it as an imposition and then when we interpret God's grace, God's grace just becomes something that helps us to get through it. Forgive me for picking on a lot of different words, but you know, it's, it, is it really a matter of just getting through it? Oh my goodness, if I can just get through this, then I'm going to be okay. And God, give me the grace to get through this. So grace becomes kind of watered that down. extra... Sh- yeah, it becomes watered yeah. down and it becomes that extra shot of energy to give me a little bit more strength so I can cross the finish line of this crisis that I'm going through instead of saying, wait a minute, this is a part of life. This is a part of how God can form me. And grace is not so much that compensatory thing that just gets me across the finish line of my crisis. Grace is actually working through the crisis to make me something that I possibly can be in the vision of God. Mm-hmm. Is that too much or am I going too far? No, to it's good. And feel free to keep picking on me. I don't mind <laughs> it. I think it's really Sorry. good. And I... No, don't be. It's an important reminder. And we get these like Christian clo- colloquialisms um, all the uh-huh. time. And we, we, you know, we slap them on, on like toast with butter and try to smooth it out. But that is the reality. Yes, exactly what you said. I don't want to water down grace in my language. And I do want to empathize with people as they may be going through yeah, these yeah. really difficult scenarios and, and, you know, feeling overwhelmed by life. God does have grace for you in that, but it's a much more robust grace than the kind that we could use to describe that. Like, just get to the finish line. It's a grace that's going to shape you and form you into his image, which is the whole goal. Yeah, yeah. I I remember, you know, there's so many times in my life where I've sat, kind of wanted to curl up in the fetal position, and I just wanted to be in a dark corner and nobody bother me, right? (laughs) And, and, And it's like, oh, God, get me through this. You know, in my in my chair that I have, for example, you know, in a particular heavy, heavy crisis I was going through as it related to the ministry role that I was playing, and I felt like everything was coming down around me. Uh, it wasn't working. It wasn't going well. People realized that. And I, frankly, had come to the end of my ability and mm-hmm. um, 
just sitting. And there came a point where I, I, I kind of said, you know, uh, God, how do I navigate through this? Spent a lot of time worrying about that, wringing my hands, not in the stomach, want to throw up, all that stuff. But there came a point where I suddenly came face to face with my own identity and as the anchor to hold me firm in that. And, and, it, and it suddenly uh, dawned on me, you know, God, just tell me that you love me. Just tell me that I'm your child. And if you do that, everything else will be fine. Uh, I'll be okay. All this junk swirling around in my life, in my career, in my job, in my relationship with coworkers, that's all secondary if you just tell me that you love me and I'm your child. And it was it's just like when that happens, you know, the storm go it doesn't go away, but all of a sudden it's not the priority of my life anymore. My center of gravity is low. And um, yeah, that identity serves to anchor us well, I think. So that makes sense to me. But I also recognize that there are times in which we don't feel the love of God or somebody might be saying like, hey, that's all good and well, but I can't really feel God right now. And I'm trying and the crisis is overwhelming me. Like I'm feeling overwhelmed in the midst of it it kind of seems like just a, a nice idea that I could feel God's love and everything would be okay. What do you say to them? Yeah, that's a really good point because it becomes a panacea of loveliness, so to speak. And it becomes this ethereal, you know, it's almost like I'm going to ignore all this crisis um, and, I'm, and, and eventually it'll go away because I believe that God's going to bring good and all that stuff. The reality is that sometimes things don't get better the way we want them to, you know, mm-hmm. and I think the reality is that we have, you know, to be honest, you know, our good producer jumped in and said, hey, what about the fact that, you know, is that coming from a position of privilege? Um, mm-hmm. That's a really good point that he's interjected and we and we have to think about that because from a position of having plenty to eat and a home to stay in and all of that, I can sit here and say those things. And I can say that, you know, I went through one of those crises in the intercontinental airport at at Houston International Airport in the prayer chapel. And some people don't have the recourse to be able to do that. Some people live with their circumstance permanently. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would say um, that I think might be a different factor than a crisis, that is that is a life journey, um, and and I'm I'm thinking on my feet right now. But I think that the the way in which we respond to circumstance determines both how we live our life on a journey and how we how we live through the crisis moments. You know, Paul ultimately says, I have learned in whatever circumstance therein to be content. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, gee, I'm going to settle for this. It means a deeply profound, soul-wrenching struggle with God to come face to face with the fact that I live in circumstances that are less than best, and Mm -hmm. yet... It is the kingdom of God, and it is the grace of God and the presence of God that is my comfort amidst my discomfort physically or my discomfort 
uh, as it relates to my, my, my life condition. So I think it's that deep, deep struggle of the soul that anchors itself in an identity that is securely rooted in God through Jesus Christ that allows us to respond to crisis or to circumstance instead of reacting to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's well said. And ultimately, it does come back to relationship with God, that ability to entrust ourselves to him and our souls to him, even as we wrestle with him. (laughs) And so back to my question to you, how do how do we speak to the people who want to feel God's love and want to, and maybe that's going back, you know, and, and going back a couple steps in identity and, and learning how to root your identity in him. But I do think there are people who have a firm identity in Jesus and in the midst of crisis experience a feeling of disconnect. And I guess my, my um, thought for that, cause I've been there would be to keep just like digging in. Like I've heard it it said, like grace flows to the lowest place and in humility, just keep coming before God because he is there and he is present in your life. And if you're not feeling his love, it's not because he doesn't have it for you. Like I would say there's an invitation there to, to deepen your intimacy with him and he'll go where you can't, right? If you can't go all the way, he's going to come to you. But I, I, I think that's really, the prize at the end of the day is not perfect circumstances, but perfect communion with him. And that's what we're we're moving forward toward. That's what we're aiming for. So in the midst of that, when you can't feel his love, that's an invitation to, to just dig in a little bit deeper and to soften your heart mm-hmm. a little more. What would you say about that? Yeah, Kevin? I yeah, I guess I would I would say I agree with you. That's really important. There are times, I think, in a crisis when we don't even have the wherewithal to do that. And and in some cases, I guess this is as much for the people who are not in crisis as for those who are in crisis, because if I'm sitting in a in a in a a pit of despair, I don't even have it within me to say I want to go deeper and find the grace of God. And boy, it sure helps when my good friends ring my doorbell and come in and kneel down at my, you know, in front of me, in front of my chair, in front of my couch with me, put hands on me and pray for me. I don't have the Mm -hmm. capacity to do that. So I would say to the people who are not in crisis, when you have eyes to see someone who's walking through it, make sure you go and you become one of those connect points, one of those guy wires one of those anchors that reminds them who they are and that reminds them that they have an identity that is deeper than their circumstance. And in some cases, and I, and I, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious by this, but in some cases, in that moment, you become God to them because they can't feel God. They can't experience, they, they're not experiencing the love of God. But when that person walks through their front door and kneels down and puts their hands on them and prays for them and says says encouraging words, that's God to that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is such a good point. And it's, you know, it kind of plays off of what the teaching was on identity and crisis and the mm-hmm. conversation about how we need people in our lives and we need to confess where we're at. We need to be vulnerable not just transparent. And so if you are somebody like Kevin just said, who is not in crisis, you have to keep your eyes open for those people. But if you're somebody who is in crisis, you need people in your life. You need 
people surrounding you and and walking with you and praying with you and you need to embrace vulnerability and Kevin mm-hmm. I'm going to actually let you kind of introduce that topic again cuz I know we spoke about it but uh can you yeah, well, remind everybody of the difference between transparency and vulnerability Yeah I'd be happy to because that's a really important piece you know transparency is when we show people things about ourselves but we retain control of it In other Mm -hmm. words, I can stand up in front of a thousand people and I can be talking to them and I can be using an example about my own, my own uh, stumbling or my own problem or my own inadequacy. uh, But I retain control of it. Right. Preachers are great at this. Preachers are great at being transparent because they want people to identify with them. Uh, Vulnerability is when you show people things about yourself and they have the power to hurt you with it. In other words, mm-hmm. they they can control, um, they can they can impact you. So when I am vulnerable with someone, I'm giving them not only the information about me, but I'm actually giving them power to encourage or discourage, to heal or to hurt, to empower or to disempower. They have power in my life when I show them that. And so that's a much deeper level of exposure. And frankly, it's the level that God went to when he sent Jesus, gave us the power to accept or reject, to welcome or to kill. What did we do? We killed him, right? So vulnerability and 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 frankly, you know, the, the, the next question is, oh man, I got to be vulnerable. That means everybody in the world knows all my stuff and they can <laughs> hurt me. No, that's not the way it works. You know, there are degrees of vulnerability and there are moments when you move into transparency for a preacher to stand up and preach and, and you know, and, and kind of vomit all over people. That's not appropriate. That's not being a shepherd. There are people with whom a, a preacher or a pastor needs to be vulnerable because that's mm-hmm. where accountability and formation come. But but transparency has its place. Vulnerability has its place. And when we are vulnerable with people, we got to decide whether those people are trustworthy or not. And do they have my backside? In other words, are they going to protect me? Uh, and are do they have my best interest in heart, at heart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do, I think the key is is not engaging in self reliance because ultimately we are not capable of doing this on our own, and that's not some like cheesy like fortune cookie saying like that is the reality we were designed to live in community that is part of how the holy spirit shapes us into the image of jesus and so i think that it was very convicting when i was processing through the difference between transparency and vulnerability because personally i tend to want to retain control over who sees what in my life and how they perceive me right like greatest fear of being misunderstood or being placed in a box because of something that i'm experiencing in crisis and so it can be really scary to let people in and, and to be vulnerable and it could feel like you're even a broken record if your crisis is continuing But it is important that we have people in our lives who we can be vulnerable with. And like Kevin said, we obviously have to make sure that we're not letting everyone in. Like we can have certain boundaries established. But if there's not anyone in our life who we're being vulnerable with, we're probably not thriving in the way that we could be. And so I was personally very convicted about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good statement, Susanna. Thank you for making it because that is the essence of formation at the deepest level. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. that's the hardest. 
And I learned the, I learned the hard way, you know, I, I grew up as a pastor's daughter, so I learned to put on a face really, really early and there wasn't anything wrong with some of it, right? Like, like you said, there needs to be a level of um, discretion with which you communicate when you're in ministry, but there was also a part of it that got really deep into my heart and, Later on in life, I ended up working at a church plant, and the culture of that church plant was vulnerability. Like, they, to almost, not to a fault, but to a really strong degree, were being vulnerable. They believed in brave communication. If anything that anybody did hurt the other one, they would go straight to them. So there was just, it was like a whirlwind for me of learning how to be vulnerable. And even there, I fought it. I remember if I was having something difficult happen in my life, walking around next to people I was working with who had become like family at that point and trying to hide it, but my face couldn't hide it. And so it was almost like after a few months of doing that, this eruption came out from my soul where I could no longer hide what was happening. And because I'd been compacting the crisis inside of me, it like erupted all over everyone. And it was in that moment that I learned that I really did need people. And if I had have let them in earlier, I wouldn't have been in the position I was, which was a lot worse off, honestly, because I had stuffed it all in. And um, so, yeah, I've had to learn vulnerability. I've had to learn the dance. You know, it's it's difficult to navigate, but it is something that I really, really value. And I want to continue to practice. Yeah. What well, good point. And by nature, because we are innately selfish people, we tend to build defenses. So vulnerability mm-hmm. is definitely counter our human nature. And that's where it becomes a kingdom principle right there. Yeah. So vulnerability is a kingdom principle and it is something that we're growing in. And it's rooted, and our ability to really participate in that is rooted in us understanding our identity. So coming full circle, identity in crisis, part of establishing our identity is knowing who we are, knowing whose we are, and knowing what our name is. And you spoke to that in the last teaching about you and dropping your kids off at school. And... You would send them off and you would say, hey, remember who you are. Remember that you're a Manoia. Do you yeah. remember doing that? Yeah, I sure do. Absolutely. And so do they. <laughs> Did they ever get annoyed when you would do that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it's, you know, I mean, for a kid to be asked what their last name is by the parent who gave them their last name, it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. really, Dad? Seriously? I'm sure there's a millennial word for that that escapes me right now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and there are two dimensions to that. One is that remembering your last name, remembering who you are, becomes not only your anchor in the time of crisis, but it also becomes your motivation for how to live. Because one of my children remembers, yes, that becomes the anchor for crisis. Another one says, that I would occasionally say, now, go live like it, right? You know what your last name is, now go live like it. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's, a, it's, it's really the center of gravity of our lives, uh, our identity. And that's why at the beginning of these, uh, I think we always say there is probably no greater theme that we could talk about in terms of personhood, in terms of leadership, in terms of ministry, 
than getting to the question of our identity, which is which is what this whole series is about. So just like your kids might have, you know, heard this repetition over and over and sometimes been like, we know dad, or, you know, they obviously really embodied it. But I think we hear your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is rooted in God over and over as Christians. And we can be like, okay, repetition. But just in the same way, when we really get that in our heart, it inspires us for how to live. It inspires us for how to respond. And that is really the most important thing that we can take away from this whole conversation is remember your name. Like you are marked by the blood of Jesus. You are a son or a daughter of God. And that is your motivating factor for how you're going to respond to crisis. It is the the protection around you. It is the path in front of you. And if you remember your name, you are going to continue to be shaped and molded more into the image of Jesus through this. That is a good, good exhortation. On that note, I feel like we ought to probably uh, have an altar call or take an offering or something like <laughs> that. Uh, thanks, Susanna. That is a fabulous um, wind up to the time that we have together. There's so many other things I wish we could unpack about this, and maybe they'll come out in subsequent episodes. But uh, I do hope that if you're listening, that you will take this to heart. I hope you'll remember the crisis or moment or experience that was a defining event in your own formation and look at it through the lens that we've talked about here. And if you need to go back and listen again, do it again. Uh, I do hope you'll join us again for the next episode. We're going to be talking about identity in mission. So Mm. please join us. Thanks for your time. Blessings. Bye. Let me encourage you that who you are is more important than what you do. The lure of defining yourself by your performance is stronger than you might think. So join me in upcoming weeks as we explore the whole leader God created you to be.